Welcome to the Faith Women Podcast. We're a community of women at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville, North Carolina, that desires to honor the Word of God, to support our church, and to encourage each other as we know, grow, serve, and go. Through these episodes, we'll be introducing you to our ministry team, sharing truth from God's Word, and challenging you to grow in your love for the Lord and those He's called you to serve. We're so glad you've joined us. Let's dive in. Well, good morning, ladies. I will never forget my introduction to close friendship. I was in the first grade, and a little girl in my class, whose name was also Jessica, this was the early 90s, so there were hundreds of Jessicas running around everywhere, she gave me the most beautiful best friend's necklace. You know, the kind where she had half a heart and I had the other half? I was over the moon excited. And we walked around the playground hand in hand, planning all of our best friend adventures that we would have together. And the honeymoon phase lasted exactly three days until another friend invited my best friend to her house for a sleepover. So Jessica came up to me and said that she needed my half of the best friend's necklace back. And I was devastated. We can all agree that navigating friendship can be difficult, fraught with unmet expectations and hurt feelings and loneliness. But, lonely, but friendship can also be a catalyst for encouragement and growth and love and great joy. So today we're gonna dive into scripture and we're gonna discuss five biblical principles for friendship. And after weighing the risks and rewards, my hope is that you will walk away knowing that friendship is truly an investment worth making. So you should have a note sheet on the table in front of you, as well as a scripture reference page. Because this is a topical study, we are going to be flipping through both the Old and New Testaments to see what God says about forming and investing in friendship. So I wanted you to have the Bible verses there so that you could follow along with me and also refer back to once we're done. So let's dive in. As humans, we were created for community. We were created in the image of a triune God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three in one who exists in fellowship with one another for eternity. Our creator is at his core a relational being. So the deep-seated need that we have for community isn't a coincidence, it's design. We image God when we invest in relationships, first and foremost with him, but also with our families, our friends, our church communities, and the world for his glory. When God fashioned Adam out of the dust, he enjoyed a peaceful, unbroken relationship with him and was given meaningful work to do in the perfect Garden of Eden. But Genesis 2.18 says that God said, it is not good for man to be alone. So he created a helper for Adam, a companion. The same rings true for you and me. We were not meant to live life alone. And we know that life is messier when we let people in. We open ourselves to be hurt or misunderstood or betrayed. And I'm here to tell you that these things may and probably will happen to you because we live in a fallen world and we're interacting with sinful people. One of my favorite Bible verses is Proverbs 14.4, which says, where there are no oxen, the manger is clean, but abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. Okay, you may be wondering, what in the world do oxen and mangers have to do with friendship? But hear me out. When we seek to live on our own, to do our own thing, then our lives may be more clean, 
less mess, more comfortable and less complicated. If you don't let anybody in, then no one challenges your thinking or disagrees with your decisions. But if you don't let people into your life, no one can hurt your feelings or leave you out or betray your trust. But like the scripture says, abundant crops, the blessings of fellowship and community, wisdom and encouragement, these things happen when you let people in. There is a cost to friendship, a messiness when we, that comes when we open up our homes and our hearts, but we cannot reap the benefits of friendship if we don't open up our manger and bring in the oxen. When we journey through life together, when we knit our hearts together with trusted friends, our lives can be fuller and richer and filled with a higher purpose. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up, but pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. Now we live in a world that is more connected than ever before. You have virtually unlimited access to billions of people and events, headlines and information. And yet we are living through what they're calling a loneliness epidemic. There have been hundreds of studies conducted and many report that over 35% of the American adult population call themselves lonely or struggling to make significant connections with other people. And this isn't limited to the United States, it's a global epidemic. In recent years, the United Kingdom and Japan have actually appointed ministers of loneliness to raise awareness and offer solutions to their lonely citizens. And ladies, I know that some of you in this room are experiencing the ache of loneliness right now. We've all felt the desire to be known and sought after and included. We need friends, especially as believers, to walk alongside of us as we seek to grow in the Lord and represent him to the lost world. Author Kelly Needham says in her book, Friendish, following Jesus is an individual decision, but not an individual assignment. We are a chosen race, not a chosen person. We are a royal priesthood, not a royal priest. We are a holy nation, a people for his own possession. We are not on this journey by ourselves. When my husband and I moved across the country for the first time, I can remember feeling so alone. I had to fill out paperwork for a new teaching job and the form asked for a non-family member emergency contact. I drew a blank. The deli man at the grocery store? The male woman who I literally wait for every afternoon at 3 p.m. so that I can talk to someone? I was so desperate for connection, and we had been visiting a few, a few churches, but we hadn't settled on one yet. And the Lord impressed on my heart the need to settle on a church and get plugged in. Psalm 86 says that God puts the lonely in families. And often that is the church, the body of Christ. There is something so rare and beautiful about joining a body of like-minded believers and experiencing life-giving fellowship. So we picked one that taught the Bible and we started serving and we got plugged into a small group so that we could be known. But I'm gonna be honest, making friends even for this extroverted extrovert was difficult. Most of the group had been together for over 10 years. And when it came to friendships, they kind of seemed like they were covered. It can be really hard to break into an established group, especially when people have grown up together or they've known each other a long time. But I was determined and we kept at it. 
And the time and emotional energy that was spent investing and seeking out friendship was so worth it. So how many friends should you have? Contrary to what Facebook wants you to believe, you cannot actually have meaningful friendships with thousands or even hundreds of people. There's been a lot of research done on the amount of people that we can hold space for in our lives, and it's actually a lot smaller than you might think. So we're gonna talk about the four categories of friends. The first one, the outer layer, is our community. And this is about 150 people that you know by name and you speak to once or twice a year. These are people that you see and you smile at in the church lobby on a Sunday morning. Most of the time, when they ask you how you are, you answer, fine, whether or not that's actually how you're doing. You are recognized by these people, but you're not known. The next category are your acquaintances. These are 50 people that you know on a surface level and you catch up with them when you see them. You share general details with them. This could be people that you know from your child's school or the soccer fields on a Saturday, or even women that you sit with at an event like this. The next layer in is your village. This is 15 to 20 people who you speak with monthly, if not weekly. And rather than catching up, you keep up with these people. You generally know the details that is going on in their lives. You know details about their family, their work, their hobbies, their personality. In our church, this is your faith group. This is your village. And then the last category is your inner circle. This is two to five close friends that you do life with. You meet up and talk with them very regularly. You know the goings on of their lives and you're invested deeply in them. Two to five people, that's it. These people have seen and heard what matters to you. They celebrate with you and they cry with you. They have witnessed how God has been faithful in your life. They walk with you through the milestones and the celebrations and the victories, as well as the struggles and the diagnoses and the doubts. They have chosen to invest in you and you have chosen to invest in them. So which relationships will you cultivate in your inner circle? While we are called to witness and befriend non-believers for the sake of sharing the gospel, Scripture is clear that your inner circle friends, the closest people to you, should share your faith and the bond of knowing and following hard after Jesus. Friendships built on a mutual desire to grow in the Lord and honor Him have the potential to be richly edifying and they should be prioritized. Proverbs 13.20 talks about the importance of properly choosing who we invest in and who we let influence us. The one who walks with the wise will become wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. We want to surround ourselves with people who will encourage us in our faith and cheer us on as we are being sanctified or made into the likeness of Christ. So who do you want to be like? Who can you run the race of life with as you both seek to honor God with your words and your actions and your attitude? These should be your close friends. And these two to five friends don't have to know each other either. Too often we have a misguided vision of a closely knit friend group that does everything together, but that isn't usually practical nor reasonable to hope for. So if you haven't found the perfect coffee shop with the orange velvet couch where you all gather together every night, there is still hope for you to develop lasting friendships. And this group of inner circle friends will change over your life. 
Not many of us are still connected to our elementary school best friends. You'll be sad to know that after the necklace debacle, Jessica and I don't regularly meet together for coffee and manicures. But the Lord has brought precious people into my life that I consider dear friends. And these women know me. They know my interests and my quirks, my heart for the Lord and for women, my history with chronic illness, my work, my passion for discipling my children. They have walked through life with me, some for many years and others more recently. The Lord has knit our hearts together and I am the better for it. So what influences which category a person falls into? Time, proximity, vulnerability, and a depth of relationship. If you wanna deepen your friendship with a certain woman, it's gonna take time. And like anything worth doing, friendship is hard work. It's like a physical muscle that must be worked out. There's no secret sauce or formulaic conversation that can turn an acquaintance into an inner circle best friend in three hours or less. Now, sometimes you will have an instant bond with someone over a shared unique hobby or a small world connection from your past, when you serve together in a ministry or on a mission trip, or when you walk out of the women's bathroom into the church lobby with the back of your skirt tucked into your leggings and a friend quickly and discreetly comes and untucks it for you, or so I've heard that that can happen. (laughs) Developing a friendship with someone takes intentional, sacrificial face-to-face time and a willingness to share your heart and invest in them. Now, we must be careful not to blur the lines between these communities. People in the community and acquaintance level do not need immediate access to your innermost thoughts and feelings. We need to act with wisdom and discretion. We reserve our emotional energy and investment for people that we truly know and respect and trust. Proverbs 12, 26 challenges us. The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. In true friendship, it is absolutely a matter of quality over quantity. Proverbs 18.24 reminds us, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend that sticks closer than a brother. It is impossible for a room full of women to become your intimate soul-connected friends. We can be friendly with all, but not all have earned a place or ever should in your inner circle. I heard a story about an Instagram influencer and she had 75,000 followers. And one day she posted on stories and she was crying about a recent cancer diagnosis. She was literally walking out of the doctor's office, telling her followers what the oncologist had said and thanking her listeners for being her support system. I was immediately sad and a little put off that her first response was not to call a dear trusted friend, but instead to blast the news to the world and her community of, let's be honest, strangers. We need real, in-person, let's do life together friends who can build us up and pray with us and walk through life with us, the ups and the downs, and that will challenge us to follow hard after our savior. We may look at our follower count or the number of friends we have as a status symbol, but those friends and those followers can never replace your friends that you see and interact with and grow with every day. So how do we find these friends? This is actually one of the most commonly asked questions on Google, and it populates hundreds of thousands of results on tips and tricks for making friends as an adult. 
But today we're going to ask a more important question. What does God-honoring friendship look like? Too often we model our Christian friendships after what the world says our relationships should look like. But we are called to live counterculturally, and that's going to shape how we view and form and invest in our friends. So let's dig into scripture, and we're going to see what God says about friendship, and we're going to pull out five biblical principles that will help us to develop healthy friendships for our good and ultimately for God's glory. So the first one, less searching, more being. If you think back on your life, there were probably seasons where making friends was quite easy. In childhood, every other kid on the playground or in your class is a potential friend. In college, you're spending all day, every day, with people in the exact same season as you. But as we grow and move away and have our priorities shift towards careers and families and homes, it can be harder and harder to make friends as an adult. And too often, I would sit and sulk about how I needed more friends. I felt like my needs for good conversation and companionship and fun just weren't being met. And I would pray for God to send someone who would befriend me. And you know what happened? Often, in that still, small voice, God would impress upon my heart someone who I needed to befriend instead. As believers, we know that life isn't all about ourselves. So what if instead about fretting about who will be our friend, who will meet all of our needs for connection and fellowship, belonging and being known, we decide instead to start looking outside of ourselves to see who might need a friend around us. Pastor Zig Ziglar once said, if you go out looking for friends, you're going to find them very scarce. But if you go out to be a friend, you'll find them everywhere. So how do we be a friend? In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus teaches his followers, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. Now this is known as the golden rule that we also often teach our children, but this principle absolutely applies to friendship. Now I have three young kids. They are four and a half, six, and seven. And I asked them, what do you look for in a friend? And here are some of their answers. Someone who is happy, funny, and nice. Someone who checks on me when I'm hurting. Someone who invites me to things, especially parties with goodie bags. Someone who jumps up and down with me when I'm excited. Someone who obeys the Ten Commandments. Someone who isn't afraid to pray. And someone who sits on the bench with me when I need a break. From the mouths of babes, eh? Now, you may not care about goodie bags filled with trinkets from the dollar store, but you do want to be invited and included. You probably don't regularly take breaks on the bench after a riveting game of tag, but you might go through a tough season and you need someone to sit with you while you process and grieve and recover. So what would you add to their list? We are called in scripture to invest in the lives of those around us. We're going to look at Romans 12. It gives us a clear picture of how you can be a countercultural friend. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Take the lead in honoring one another. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. 
Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Give careful thought to do what is honorable in everyone's eyes. If possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Whew, talk about a comprehensive list. We could spend our whole lives striving to be that kind of countercultural friend. Ladies, let's get in the trenches and engage with the women in our lives. We want to notice them, to pray for them and with them, to honor them, to rejoice with them and mourn with them. But we can't do this from the sidelines. We must walk through life with others if we're going to know enough of what's going on and let them know what's going on in our hearts if there's going to be an investment. So what if instead of walking around, searching and waiting for someone to fulfill our needs for friendship, we decided to start being a friend to those that God has already put in our path? And being a friend is often about taking the initiative, which I know it can be scary and inconvenient and uncomfortable. Reaching out in friendship can be a vulnerable position, but you can start small. You don't need to plan an extravagant dinner party for 12 on your first go around. If you would really like someone to ask you out for coffee, then pick someone and ask them out for coffee. They may say no, but they may say yes. Or pick someone and ask them to go for a walk with you. Conversation may be stilted and a little awkward at first, but that's okay. And even if you don't become bosom buddies in the first 30 minutes, don't give up. Investing in a friendship takes time. And if someone opens up and shares their heart, follow up with her. If she asks for prayer, pray with her and for her. One of my dearest friends has taught me a lot about the importance of listening in friendship. She genuinely listens to people. She asks follow-up questions and takes an interest in what her friends are saying and going through. She makes people feel important and interesting. Too often we listen and are just waiting for our turn to speak. Proverbs 18.2 says, A fool does not delight in understanding, but only wants to show off his opinions. This is not a productive way to start or grow a friendship. Take an active interest in others, and you'll find potential friends everywhere. And remember, not every person that we reach out to or spend time with is going to become an inner circle dear friend. It may and probably will take a few tries. And it's hard not to take it personally if someone doesn't reciprocate our effort in our making a friendship. But you cannot control the actions of anybody except for yourself. Maybe their life is feeling really full right now. Maybe their family is demanding more of their attention. Maybe they just don't have the capacity for a new relationship. Or maybe your personalities just don't click. When that happens, you pray for courage. You ask for wisdom and eyes to see, and then you try again. I had a sweet mentor when I was in college, and she would often pray with me and share wisdom and encouragement from my heart. And once I was sharing that I felt like I always had to be the one to initiate friendships. I felt like I was doing a lot of inviting and I wanted other people to plan a get together or to invite me to something. And I complained to her, why is it always my job? And you know what she said? Well, what's wrong with that job? She gently told me that maybe God had called me to be a facilitator of friendship. 
She said it was a unique gifting that should not be neglected. We all have different roles to play, and maybe you are just really good at bringing people together. It doesn't mean that your friendships aren't real or that no one wants to be your friend. You may just have the personality or the energy or the bandwidth to reach out more. So maybe God is asking you to be a facilitator of friendship in this season or with one specific friend. Let's lean into our God-given role to bring people together for the sake of growing in friendship. And if you're the friend that is always waiting for someone else to initiate and plan things, then maybe you need to step out and put forth some effort to reciprocate the friendship. So where can we look for these women to befriend? Let me ask you, where are you weekly? Where do you already, who do you already see regularly? Friendships take time and having regular built-in times of fellowship can really help grow your relationship organically. For me, being involved in a faith group and the women's ministry team and weekly Bible studies has been instrumental in forming friendships and finding women to invest in. Especially in large communities like this church, it is vital that you get plugged in so that you can find people that you can grow with the Lord with, you can pray with, spend time with, and share your heart with. And as you get to know the ladies in a group setting, you'll start to see who you admire and respect and think you could trust. Look for women who exemplify a heart that makes much of Jesus rather than much of herself. And I have some friends that I actually have very little in common with apart from knowing and seeking Jesus. The bond that believers share, the common drive that fuels our friendship more than a shared hobby or a common interest or a season of life. Choosing to engage in friendship requires effort. You can't show up somewhere walking in late, sit silently, and then leave as soon as the event is done and be disappointed that you didn't make a deep connection with someone. Show up ready to engage and see what, God, what goodness God has in store for you. And too often we think that a friend has to be the exact same age as us or in the exact same season that we're currently in. But let God surprise you with friends outside of your season. There is such richness that comes when we engage in friendship with women who are both younger and older than us. That's the beauty of the body of Christ. All right, our second principle. Less offense, more grace. Oh, we all have expectations for what a friend should do and be to us. But are these fair and appropriate? We often put the pressure on our friends to meet our many and sometimes unspoken demands. We want our dear friends to make us feel loved and cherished and included and entertained and provided for and sought after. And that is a lot of pressure to put on one friend or even a small group of friends. We want our text messages or phone calls to be answered right away. We want her to always say the right thing at the right time. We want her to act and think and react exactly like we would in every situation. We want her to intuitively know when something has upset us or hurt our feelings. We want her to be our special friend and we get upset if we see or hear about her getting together with someone else. Now, we would never say those things out loud. I mean, I just did, but you wouldn't. (laughs) But we may think them in the quiet of our hearts. And if left unchecked, these small sinful thoughts can grow into seeds of bitterness and they will choke a friendship. You do not own your friend and she does not own you. Even the dearest of friends must have the space and the grace to make a mistake. 
to miss a text message and get back to you three days later or three weeks later, to choose a quiet night at home over a fun girls' night sometimes, to spend time with someone else without feeling like they have to sneak around or that they're jeopardizing their friendship with you. While we all want to foster deep relationships, if we grasp too tightly, we can put too much pressure and end up damaging a friendship. Our lives are full, and friendship is an important piece, but it's not the only piece. Putting unrealistic demands, both spoken and unspoken, on our friends is not a healthy way to live life with someone. So the next time you reach out and a friend doesn't respond right away, instead of thinking, well, that's it, she must not want to be my friend anymore, stop and think. She's probably busy. Maybe this notification got missed. Maybe she was typing a response and she got interrupted by the tiny army that she has created in her home and she forgot to press send. Maybe the frequency of my texting is a little too much for her. We've all had those days and those weeks when we're juggling a few too many balls. Let's show grace to our friends. Give her the benefit of the doubt. Don't jump to hasty and often unjust conclusions. In Colossians 3, Paul describes the mark of a new man or woman in Christ. Knowing Jesus changes us from the inside out, and these changes are going to affect every aspect of our lives, especially how we view and form and invest in our friendships. Colossians 3, 12 through 14, say, therefore, as God's chosen ones, holy and dearly loved, put on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a grievance against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also are to forgive. Above all, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let me ask you, does your daily conduct with your friends show a watching world that you are a follower of Christ? Are your interactions and your conversation, your attitude and your reactions, are they marked by compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? Now let's focus on verse 13 for a minute. We are called to bear with one another and forgive one another. And Paul distinguishes the difference between bearing and forgiving. Bearing with one another is a sign of loyalty. It's choosing to handle faults with grace and dealing with petty annoyances with patience. In friendship, especially as you grow closer to one another, you will recognize quirks in each other's personalities that may cause frustration. But in these moments, we must choose to bear with one another. Sometimes we let our feelings get hurt and we make issues over small things. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is to his glory to overlook an offense. Boy, if I knew how to embroider, I would put that puppy on a pillow. As a sensitive soul who used to always get my feelings hurt, I repeat this verse to myself often. If you're dealing with a good friend and you know her heart and her character, you can choose to give her the benefit of the doubt. You can choose to ignore a small issue and move on. You can choose to overlook an offense. You can choose maturity over pettiness. When we commit to loving our friends like Christ has loved us, we choose to bear with each other. James 1.19 says everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. These are three difficult things to do in our flesh. 
but they are three definitive marks of a woman who is being daily led by the Spirit. Now, Paul also necessitates the need for forgiveness in friendship. While we can overlook little annoyances or miscommunications, there are certainly times when issues need to be addressed for the health of a friendship, and we may need to seek and or offer forgiveness. Unkind words, unfair accusations, betrayed trust, these require a sit-down and a heart-to-heart with our friend. But how we handle these instances makes all the difference. Hard conversations should not be had over text message or email. Can I get an amen? Come humbly and calmly. As Christ followers, we are called not to be passive, compromising peacekeepers, but instead to be intentional and courageous peacemakers. Proverbs 15.1 tells us that in a conflict, a gentle answer turns away wrath. Ephesians 4.32 reminds us to be kind and compassionate to each other. Let's seek to live with each other in an understanding way, remembering that we are all sinners in need of grace. We are quick to expect our friends to accept us, flaws and all, but then we hold others to a very high standard of perfection. We need to have a right view of both ourselves and those who have chosen to befriend us. We are both sinners who will fall short. We will sin against each other. So how should we respond? While the world may tell you that you have the right to hold a grudge, to make them pay, to cancel them, Christ calls you to deal with your friends with grace and compassion and forgiveness. Let's seek to feed our friendships a healthy diet of the fruit of the Spirit. As we grow in maturity in the Lord, we are led by the Spirit, and we can treat our friends with love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Less offense, more grace. Principle number three, less grand, more mundane. I once saw a collection of photos online of a group of my friends who went on an incredible cruise to the Caribbean. The ladies looked so relaxed and refreshed and so happy to be enjoying their friendship together. And I thought, that's what I need. If only my friends and I could get away on a cruise, that would deepen our friendship like nothing else. And while cruises can be a fun, special, over-the-top memory, do you know what deepens a friendship like nothing else? living mundane everyday life together. True lasting friendship is not forged in one intense vacation. It's formed when friends choose to invest in each other again and again during the seemingly routine, ordinary everyday things like trips to the park or a quick phone call or a message of a meme that made you think of her or choosing to commit to a weekly Bible study, meeting up and grocery shopping together, sitting in waiting rooms together, praying over an issue with a child, weeknight dinners with the kids running in the backyard, pushing strollers, walking around the neighborhood, dropping off a meal just because, or early morning coffee dates because you haven't seen your friend in a while and you really miss her. It's choosing to be friends over and over again in the ordinary moments of life. The cruise may be the icing on the cake, but the day-to-day friendship foundation is the cake. Acts 2.42 talks about the growth of the early church and the sweet community that the believers had. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. 
These are small, simple, unflashy things that knit the hearts of believers together when they shared a common goal, grow in Christ. When you gather with ladies who love Jesus, you have an instant camaraderie because of a shared mission to serve the Lord and make him known. The days may feel ordinary, but the effects can last into eternity. Ann Dillard, a well-known American author, said that how we spend our days is how we spend our lives. So don't wait for a grand gesture or a birthday milestone to tell your friend how much she means to you. Don't wait until you have it all together or your house is immaculate or you've perfected the dinner menu to bring people in. Invite the women into the ups and downs of your everyday life. You will find that the small moments add up to a really meaningful friendship. And side note, if you are currently planning a friend cruise, I currently have an opening in my inner circle and I will meet you to the left of the stage when we're done. Just kidding, sort of. Principle number four, less comfort, more accountability. I can vividly remember a dinner that I had with a close friend and I was sharing about something that had happened that day and um, I felt I had had a disagreement and I was venting my frustrations. I felt I had been unfairly treated and so I told her how I, res how I responded and it was a zinger. So I took a breath waiting for her laughter her commiseration, her fist pumping in the air. But instead, she just looked at me and she said, Jess, that was not very Christ-like. Your response was unacceptable. Gulp. I was taken aback. It stung. But you know what? She was right. And as hard as it was, my heart needed to hear it. While we want friends who make us feel good about ourselves, it's more important to find someone who is worried about your character more than your comfort. Proverbs 27:17 says, iron sharpens iron and one person sharpens another. We are refined by those that we spend time with. Our close friends should be concerned about our happiness, but more about our holiness. Once someone knows you and has shown that they care about you, they can speak truth to encourage you and challenge you when you are doubting or discouraged or in sin. Now, hopefully this person is speaking the truth in love as Paul commands us in Ephesians 4. Correction can be hard to hear, but if it's based on scripture, it is vital for growing in maturity. Proverbs 27.6 says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Does your friend only say what you wanna hear? Or does she have the Bible knowledge and the wisdom and the courage to call you out when you're in the wrong? And are you that kind of friend for others? Now the manner in which we love and hold our friends accountable matters. So we're gonna look at Acts 18 together. Paul has been spreading the good news of Jesus all around the ancient Near, Near East, from Athens to Corinth to Ephesus to Antioch. And on his missionary trip, he befriends and partners with dedicated followers of Jesus, Priscilla and Aquila. Paul leaves on another journey, and scripture introduces us to Apollos, who is a vibrant and excited Jewish convert who is eagerly sharing the good news of Jesus, but the text says that he doesn't have all the correct information. So what do Priscilla and Aquila do? Do they call him out publicly in the synagogue? Do they go and tell all their friends not to listen to him? Do they dismiss him as one unfit to partner with in the ministry? 
No, Acts 18.26 says, After Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained the way of God to him more accurately. What a beautiful picture. And the text continues that they send him on his way to the church in Achaia, and he was a great help to the believers there. When we feel like we need to correct a friend, we must be sure that it's motivated by a genuine love and concern for that person. And after much prayer, you confront your friend in private. You speak with grace and truth and love. And though it may be difficult, your friendship will be better for it. Mark 2 tells of a time when Jesus was teaching in a home in Capernaum. Word spread that he was there, so people flocked to hear him, and the house was standing room only. I'm sure they were breaking all kinds of fire codes. And we read of four men who have a friend who is paralyzed. And what does their friend need? They decide that he needs Jesus right now. So when they cannot carry him through the door due to the crowds, they climb up to the roof, they pull back the clay and the sticks, and they literally lower their friend through the ceiling and set him at the feet of Jesus. Mark 2.5 says, Seeing their faith, Jesus told the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. The faith of the friends was evident through the radical and unwavering devotion they had to their mission, bring their friend to Jesus. They led him to the Savior, and he was healed, body and soul. When we are weak, when our faith is frail, when we are weary and burdened, do our friends bring us to Jesus? Does spending time with a friend make you want to spend more time with the Lord? Surround yourself with women who push you into a deeper relationship with God. Hebrews 10, 24 says, And let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Do your friendships provoke love and good works? Or do they provoke jealousy and gossip and entitlement and selfishness? When we have a problem, we don't need our friends to echo what the world says is true. We need women who will hold us accountable who will bolster our faith and draw us near to the source of living water, to the only one who offers true life-giving wisdom and grace and forgiveness and joy. We need our friends to lay us at the feet of Jesus. That brings me to our last biblical principle. Jesus is your forever friend. So I end with the most important Hopefully your coffee is coursing through your veins and you're ready to hear this. Friendship is a gift from God for our enjoyment and our edification. But friendship was never meant to satisfy our souls because only Jesus can do that. We were created for unconditional love and eternal relationship. And the Lord is the only one who can meet that for us every single time. People will disappoint you and you will disappoint your people our friendships will fall short of fulfilling our need to feel loved and chosen and cherished and seen because they were never meant to. Our friendships can become idols when we ask them to be God in our lives. We can take the initiative and reach out to others in friendship because Jesus first reached out to us. 
We can open our homes and share our hearts. We can pray with others because Jesus modeled for it, for us what it looks like to be humble and to invite people in. We can handle the sting of rejection because we know the one who will never reject us. We can overlook an offense and we can seek and grant forgiveness because we know in our hearts that we have been forgiven much. We can invest in others because Jesus has made the eternal investment in our souls. We no longer live in the flesh. Every day we are called to die to ourselves and live for Christ. And that is gonna change our friendships for the better. Ladies, if you are lonely, turn to Jesus. He longs to comfort you. If you have been hurt and betrayed, run to the one who is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. If you have been led astray by the lies of the world, come to the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. If you are looking to be known and sought after, I want you to remember that God formed you. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He hears your innermost thoughts and your deepest aches, and he cares for you. He longs to be your friend. This is the beautiful truth of the gospel, summarized in 1 John 4, 9 through 10. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Ladies, while we were dead in our sins, God responded in love. He sent his only son, Jesus, to pay the ultimate price to save us from our sins and reconcile us back into eternal fellowship with the Father. Jesus offers saving friendship to all who would believe. We were far from a holy God, separated by our sin, but in his mercy, God made a way so that now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Because of the cross, we are washed clean and invited in, no longer called servants, but friends. And do you know what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What a friend we have in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of friendship. I pray that we would have eyes to see women that you have placed in our past that we might befriend. I pray for courage and follow through to be your hands and feet because we know we were not created to live life alone. Father, we image you when we give our lives for others. Help us to walk in the spirit as we love sacrificially and pursue hospitality. Father, may we outdo one another in showing honor. May we offer forgiveness and ask forgiveness. May we show grace upon grace. May our friendships with each other show the world that we are ambassadors for you, holy and set apart. May our words and our actions, our reactions, our attitude, may they bring our friends to Jesus, our forever friend. 
I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers, that we would leave this room provoked to love and good works for your glory. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Faith Women Podcast. We hope you were both encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. Be sure to subscribe to the show so you won't miss an episode. If you're in our area, we'd love to have you join us at Faith Baptist Church in Youngsville on a Sunday or at any of our special events. You can learn more about our ministry online at faithnc.org slash women. See you next month.